Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 1. Just remain standing as we read God's Word together. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us this morning and being with us. His first time with us this morning in the capacity as our uh, worship pastor, and so we're grateful for him and for the opportunity of leadership that he uh, brings to us. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. We read this last week, and we'll consider it again. Uh, we have been going through a study, in case you're visiting with us, on the Apostles' Creed. And remember that the Apostles' Creed is only uh, something written by man as a collection of some of the primary doctrines of the faith, but we always look to the Word of God to give us what God says. And today we'll be considering that little phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary. Let's listen again to this Christmas story, but much, much more than that. It's a picture of God coming into the world in the person of Jesus to be our Savior. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, I praise you and thank you that in this time, just before we gather with family and with friends for most of us in this room, and we celebrate the birth of our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we can come together as, as a church family, as Jim said, part of a larger family, but certainly, Lord, as a family of the forgiven here at Heritage Baptist Church. And we are so grateful that we can not only sing songs of worship and praise, but now we can consider your word. We can look at, at the life of, of several people in biblical history who speak to us even today, and I pray that we might learn from them 
lessons that we can take home and we can apply. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you together, and we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the incarnate God, who is with us even now. In his name, amen. Indeed, the Apostles' Creed, as I said a few moments ago, shows us Jesus, God incarnate. And while he is the central figure, and we're going to come to that in this message today, there are other people mentioned here. I didn't go back and reread something that Jonathan read a few moments ago out of the Gospel of Matthew, but it is just as rich. We're going to look at a couple of people that you see in in nativity scenes all over the world. We're going to talk about the parents of Jesus, the earthly parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And I want to draw out from you some things from this passage of Scripture, and again, we'll look to Matthew chapter 1 in just a few minutes, but I, I want to share with you several things that I hope that you will take to heart we can learn a lot from this person that Luke refers to as the Virgin Mary. Let me mention a couple of things. You may want to take notes, or you may just want to listen, note this in your heart, and really seek to to emulate so that you can not only learn, but you can go out and live an extraordinary life. Well, the first thing is this. Mary was not an extraordinary person. Mary was an ordinary woman. Let me rephrase that. Mary was an ordinary teenager. And I think you know, you've heard before, that she was probably 14, 15, 16 years of age. And she was an ordinary young lady. One of the things that this means is that she was undeserving of God's selection of her. Now, now let me pose some, some things that I hear people say all of, the t- all of the time before I get into each of the points, particularly about Mary. I hear people all of the time say something that sounds like this. God could never use me. I'm so ordinary. And I want you, if you've ever said that, or if you've ever thought that, I want you to take hope. Because here is a picture of a young lady, a girl, who had, think about it, absolutely none of the things that, according to the world, would make her great. I mean, come on. She is an unknown teenaged girl living in a, an insignificant town in a very dark and depressing time in history. Now, I want to emphasize that. A very dark and depressing time in history. I know that there are many of you who feel like that we are living in a very dark and depressing time in America and in the world. 
sometimes what you need to do is to step back. One of the things I think it'll do is help you appreciate the land in which we live. But you need to step back and look at some historical perspective and realize that it was a lot different in the day and the time in history in which Mary lived. There was oppression. There was incredible corruption. When you think about it, and back in Matthew it tells this story, the the leader at that time had enough power where he could get away with He wouldn't stand trial for any of that. The killing of babies. Do you remember that? When King Herod ordered the slaughter of everyone in the region of Bethlehem who was two and younger, you talk about dark and depressing times. And so here's God looking down on Mary, and he does not look down and say, Oh, Here's someone great that I can use. Now, granted, things are different today, aren't they? I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek in in case you don't understand. Because today, God could look down and He could say, Oh, I see someone great that I could choose. His name is Kanye West. Now, in case you haven't kept up with the news, Kanye West is a musician. And uh, he has recently... Now, by the way, pray for him, okay? Because he apparently recently has had a change of heart in which he has started following Jesus. Now, right out of the chute, we see the wisdom of the writers of the New Testament when they say... Don't put a new convert into leadership. Because in the last week or so, he was put up in front of the the largest church, ostensibly, in the United States and given leadership. And and again, right out of the chute, I I don't think he did all that well. Now, the reason that I said that tongue-in-cheek that God could look down, because Kanye has said that he is, now get this, without exception, that he is the greatest artist, not just musician, but artist ever to live. Move over, Bach and Michelangelo and and all the rest of those kinds of people. Now, pray for him because I, I think that if he has truly come to faith in Christ, I hope that he has then he, he is a baby Christian, and hopefully he will, he will surround himself with other leaders other than the one that he's going to go on the road with, maybe. And, and, and they, they can guide him into the truth of the Word of God. The point I am trying to make, folks, is that God looked down on Mary, and he didn't choose her because she was great. If you'll remember, last week we said that the language is very clear. He said to her, you are favored. That's a passive tense. Twice he said it. You are favored by God. And isn't that a picture of all of us? 
We do not deserve the grace of God. We are favored by God. It reminds me of something the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. And I'll remind us all what he said. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, nor were many of you of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Later on in chapter 5, he reminds the Corinthian church who thought of themselves as pretty high and lifted up, and he said to them, what do you have that you did not receive? So take heart if you say, I'm just an ordinary person. You are exactly the kind of person that God delights to use so that when he does use you, he gets the glory instead of you. And that's the first bit of the picture of Mary that we need to look at today. A second one. Here is something that I've heard, again, sometimes in words, sometimes just in attitude. Someone will think or say something like this, I can't follow God it will interrupt my plans for my life. See, Mary was a woman, a person of the Word and of the Holy Spirit. Probably most of you have heard the Christmas story and and you've seen the word she was betrothed. And you understand, but just in case you don't, let me give you a little bit of a picture of what she was going through at this particular time. Betrothed meant that she had basically already set up everything for marriage and that she was already committed to Joseph. There had been a ceremony. She was Joseph's, not officially, not technically his wife yet. She wasn't living with him, but everything else had already been done. It had been arranged by her parents. Here she is, approximately 14, 15 years of age, and she has an angelic visitor that tells her her life is getting ready to be turned upside down. I just, I've tried to put myself in that place or, or any, any other young lady. You're betrothed. You're committed to this man. Somebody shows up and says, you're going to be pregnant. She might have thought, well, yeah, that, that's a part of my plan. Eventually, no, 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 you don't understand. You're going to be pregnant right now. But Joseph is not going to be the father. And oh, by the way, you're going to have God's baby. Talk about interrupting your plans. But she trusted God's word through Gabriel. Let me ask you a question. You knew this question was coming. Do you you understand and do you trust God's word to you? 
one of the greatest needs that we have is to become people of the Word so that our responses are saturated with God's way of thinking. Now, come on, think with me. I know we're focusing on the Christmas story, but is there anything in your life that has interrupted your plans for your life? We're talking about way more than just Mary's pregnancy here. We're talking about things that you need to be saturated with the Word of God so that you can respond to whatever situation that you have found yourself in with God's way of thinking. And you will not do that if you're not saturated with the Word. Now, Mary was probably uneducated. It's my guess. She, she probably didn't go to a school, but she heard the word in her home. She heard the word at synagogue. She would hear the word being taught, and she took it in, and so she knew it. And that's what we need so that when people come or, or situations come and they challenge you or, or people ask you, then at least you'll go to the Word. Or if not, maybe you don't understand it all, but when Mary didn't understand it all, I love this. She did not doubt. She simply asked for clarity. God had just chosen her for a task that was humanly impossible. And so his answer to that, how can this happen? That's, That's humanly impossible. God gave her the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take care of it, Mary. I dare say that you will never be asked to do what Mary did, okay? It's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. But don't, please hear me, don't ever forget that God has called you to do something. And without Without divine intervention, without the Holy Spirit, that is going to be impossible. And some of you have discovered that. You've been called to do the impossible. I didn't realize when we first started having children, I thought you just have kids and you raise them. I didn't realize that I'd been called to do the impossible. Now, I am, I am, I'm serious about that. You laugh, but you understand, parents and grandparents, what I'm talking about. I had this thinking. It was kind of an outcome-based, biblically-based. All I've got to do is plug in certain things that I've read, certain things from the Bible, and our kids are just going to turn out. You, you know, it, it, so do you. Listen, you know as well as I, if you have lived a little while raising children and that you've been called to do the impossible. And do you know what you need? Just like Mary did, you need the Holy Spirit to do for you and in you what you cannot do. You can't love that spouse that God has given you. You got married and you thought, piece of cake. impossible for you to love the spouse that God has given you 
the way that God has called you to love him or to love her without divine assistance. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I could, I, I could just go on and on. You, you, it's impossible to serve that boss. It's impossible. And, and you could just go on and on and on. Teach that class. Do whatever else God has called you to do without divine help. Remember, it is only as you trust in the Word of God, she was trusting in the Word of God, and that you allow the Holy Spirit to empower you, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her to do the impossible in her, that you can live the Christian life and serve God as you were created to do. So, let me give you some friendly advice. Get out of the way. Let God overshadow you, fill you, and remember God's special, some of you really need to hear this, God specializes in doing the impossible so that when he does come through for you and the, the, the victory is won and the task is completed, that you won't take any of the credit. That's a second thing. A third thing out of the life of Mary that, that we've just been reading about. Let's put it in the way of a, of a statement that, again, sometimes I hear. But I don't understand why this is happening to me. You ever said that? You ever felt that? And here's what Mary did. She made herself available to God even when she did not fully understand God's plan. Now, again, she asked for clarity. Wow, how's this going to happen? What was Gabriel's answer? The Holy Spirit. You think that satisfied all of the questions that she had? I don't know that it went through her mind. I know it goes through your mind sometimes because I've heard it. I don't, under, I don't understand why I'm in this place that I'm in. I don't understand why God is allowing this to happen. You think about what this was going to cost, Mary. You ever thought about that? When people discovered she was pregnant, I'm going to come to this in just a minute when I talk. I'm going to talk about Joseph, obviously. What a guy. But, but what about when Joseph discovered she's pregnant? The indication, if you go back to Matthew, and I've wondered about this. I don't know that I've thought deeply about it. What would you have done, ladies? Would you have gone, gone immediately to Joseph and said, Oh, by the way, Gabriel stopped by tonight. <laughs> I don't know. But apparently she didn't because it, it indicates in Matthew that, that probably when she began showing that he discovered, it was later on and he discovered, and by the way, he was devastated, but, but think of what it would cost her when Joseph found out. My guess is she was in love with Joseph. When people found out the ridicule, the whispering as she walked by, I'm glad none of that goes on today. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm just about, well, I am serious about that. I am so glad that in the church of Jesus Christ, this is an aside, this is not part of my notes. Do I have time to add this? Yes. That when it says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, I am so glad that in a church that is beginning to understand that. No church is, 
is, is perfect. But in a church where that is beginning to happen, then people can, when they confess their sins, walk with their heads high because they've been forgiven by God and they've been forgiven by their brothers and sisters in Christ. So when I say, does that happen today? The answer is no, but the answer is yes. In a church that's functioning the way it needs to. Do you realize it could have cost her this? If, if, they had been, if they had been rigorous with the law, what would they have done? They tried to do it in the, in the time of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. She could have been taken out and stoned to death. So what did she have? She had only the promises of God, but that was enough. She was willing, listen, she was willing to give up her own plan, her own agenda so that she might be used by God to fulfill His agenda. And her response is stunning. I'm your bondservant. That's what that literally means. That was one of the favorite titles that, that Paul used about himself. I am your bondservant. It's a loving relationship. Lord, I'm willing to be used however you choose to use me. Lord, my body is yours. My womb is yours. My life is yours. And she surrendered to him. And she did what Paul said that we all should do in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's the last thing that I want to say about Mary that I think is instructive to us, and, and again, I'll put it in the way of a statement or a question that I've heard. By the way, I, I think I've, I've said all of these things. And here's the, here's the question. How can I thank God for, and then fill in the blank? It's very closely related. I don't understand why this is happening. But the follow-up to that is, how, how, how can I thank God for this situation that is happening in my life? And Mary, we read it a few moments ago. Jonathan read it for us. Mary is a woman who is, now listen to me carefully, who is to be praised not worshipped. She is to be praised because she was a woman of praise. And we find that later on in that same chapter in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. When Mary's life was turned upside down, when she faced drastic changes in her plans. She didn't whine. She worshipped. And if you read through that Magnificat, it is just over and over. She worshipped God for His wonderful acts, for His mercy, for choosing her to be a part of His great redemptive plan. And the question is, do we? Do we really believe Romans 8.28 is true for all of us? For we know that for those who love God, all things work 
together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now let me say something very, very important, I believe. I just alluded to it in the last statement that I made. We respect, and by the way, as Protestants, we don't need to be afraid of using Mary as a praiseworthy example, okay? I think we're almost afraid to do that because people will think we're Catholics. Now, let me just correct something for those of you who might have some, some Catholic friends and They've pressed into you. I I was reading an interesting article from a Catholic website this last week, and they made very, very clear at the beginning of the article, Catholics do not worship Mary. And then the article went on. And it talked about how they view Mary. We could call this Mariology. They, they have Mariology, like we have Christology, Pneumatology. All right, I learned that in seminary. Are you impressed? No, that means a study of the Holy Spirit. They have Mariology, a study of Mary. Here are some of the things they believe. They believe she's the mother of God. Not God incarnate, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, but they believe that she's the mother of God. They believe in immaculate conception. Some of you thought that that referred to Jesus. No, it referred to Mary, that somehow she was conceived immaculately so that sin, original sin, would not be passed on to him. The Holy Spirit took care of that. Now, this is one that I I really don't understand biblically. See, when, when people add to the Bible, they start to skew biblical realities. They believe Mary was perpetually a virgin. Is it more virtuous for a married woman to remain a virgin than for her to enter into appropriate relationship with her husband? Not according to the Bible, it's not. And by the way, as a guy, you know, if she was perpetually a virgin, then so was Joseph. Anyway, you just get into all these kinds of things. And then they believe that she was assumed bodily into heaven. And while they don't worship her, they call her. In this article later on, it said she is our co-mediator, our co-redeemer, our co-advocate. Do you know why when we studied the solas, we said we believe in Christ alone. That that was one of the foundation points of the Reformation. They knew this was the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, that it was aberrant teaching, it was error, and they tried to correct it by saying, no, no, it is Christ alone. In fact, let me quote from this same article that said, we don't, Catholics don't worship Mary. This is a quote, as no man goes to the Father but by the Son, so no one goes to Christ except through his mother. We reject that. We emulate a woman who is praiseworthy, but we must never worship her. Now, those are some lessons from the life of Mary. 
But while I was studying, I, I looked over in Matthew and I saw, wow, look at the life of this guy named Joseph. I, I just want to go over this very quickly um, because I, I think he too was a praiseworthy man. Let's look at it. He's a picture of godly, biblical manhood. If you want to go back over to Matthew chapter 1, we're not going to read it. Uh, we, we had that read to us a few minutes ago. So let me give you three reasons why I think we need, and men, listen to this, because we need to emulate Joseph. Joseph was also an ordinary man. Does that give you hope, guys? He was undeserving. Thank God for grace. And God had a plan to use him. Listen, men, young men, God has a plan to use every one of you. Again, I've heard guys, I've heard guys say, I, he couldn't use me, I'm just so ordinary. Realize that he wants to. Now, back to what I said a few minutes ago. This entire situation had to be devastating to Joseph at first. And it had to upset his plans. The indication, again, he didn't find out until it became obvious. So what would he do? What would you do? And I love the way, in, in fact, if you, you just want to go over there to Matthew chapter 1, I love the way he's described. Three things that he, it says about him. He was just. In other words, he was a righteous, God-fearing man. Second thing, I, and I love this, he was kind. Now, it doesn't use that word, but he was kind. Even though he had been deeply wounded, he refused to shame Mary. I find that stunning. And then the third thing, he was thoughtful. It indicates right there that while he was musing, while he was thinking about this, in other words, man, he refused to jump to conclusions. Matthew Henry said, The Lord gives guidance to the thoughtful, but not to the unthinking. So he was just, he was kind, he was thoughtful. Now here's another thing. It says it in both places. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't fall into unbelief. He obeyed God rather than men. And he was willing, let me just use a term, he was willing to man up and fulfill his responsibility even when it was uncomfortable. I love that about Joseph. By the way, I, I just said he knew his legacy. He knew he was, the, he was of the lineage of David and that this was going to be passed down. This was so vital for the Messiah. He had to be of the lineage of David. And so here was his, his father. He was going to be the guy on the birth certificate He passed down that lineage to his son that he willingly took in to raise as his own boy. I just thought of that last week, and I thought, and, and some of you know a little bit of my story. <laughs> Conceived out of wedlock, a mistake by human standards, 
my dad adopted me and raised me as his own. And that means a lot. I think it's significant too. Now, I, I, I did a little bit of study. Back in Luke, it looks almost as if, Mary, you shall call his name, but it's very clear in Matthew when Gabriel, or at least we think it was Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Joseph and he says, Look, you name him. You're going to be the one to pass down this incredible legacy. He's going to, he's going to sit on the, the throne of his father David. And you're the one who's going to give him his name. His name is going to be Jesus, which means God with us. He's the Savior of the world. And you'll raise him as, his own, as your own. And then I love this last one. Boy, Joseph, what a guy. He was a man of strength and character and courage. He told him... He, he, he did exactly what God told him to do. And I love this. He guarded Mary's purity until Jesus was born. Now, came across an article this last week. We live in a day. Don't despair, folks. I, I promise you. Jesus said, I will build my church, okay? So no matter what is happening around us, but... We live in a day of identity politics. Oh, my goodness. So that this year, the pseudo-scientific arm of the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, came out with a study some of it was explicit and a lot of it was implied based on research that I, I, you can't even, you look at it and the research is absolutely shoddy. But here was their conclusion. Traditional, listen to this men, traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. That's what they said, traditional masculinity. Now, I know that they had some things that they were trying to put in there. And don't just go out. I just told you what they said. I'm not looking to bash. But I am looking for you, men, to understand that God has shown what biblical, traditional masculinity looks like. In a lot of places, but this is one of them. And a guy by the name of Joseph who just <laughs> did the right thing. He said, I'm going to man up. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, even if, I don't think they had an American Psychological Association back then, but even if they had said, you're toxic, Joseph, he wasn't. And he did the right thing. Now, We've talked about Mary, we've talked about Joseph, born of the Virgin Mary, but we go back because, go back to Luke just real quickly, because this passage is really not about Mary and about Joseph. This passage is really about Jesus. Let me just share with you what, what it says about him. That, th this would have been a lot to take in for Mary. His name will be great. How great do you think Jesus is? 
Well, he reflects the glory of God. He's the very stamp of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So whatever or whomever is considered great in this world, Christ is a trillion times better. He's infinitely better. He created them. Words fail to fill the greatness of God. He says he will be called Son of the Most High. Messianic title. He is uniquely God's Son. He's the only one that can meet those conditions. All the divine prophecies. The image of God begotten from all eternity. He is God incarnate. He will sit on David's throne and his kingdom will never end. He is alive right now and ruling over his people and I didn't do the very first one that he started with and that Matthew talks about his name will be Jesus Yeshua the Savior the Deliverer he will save you and me from our sin and that is the message of Christmas a baby came into the world but more than a baby God in human flesh he lived a life that we could never even dream of living and then made that incredible transaction on Calvary's cross. When he took him to himself the sin of the world and for those who trust in him and turn away from sin, which is playing God and fighting God, he said, I will give to you the gift of righteousness that you have not earned. Jim said in his prayer earlier if you're here today and you don't know God through Jesus Christ what an incredible time for you to do that to receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and then something that we will do in just a few moments to proclaim that and one of the ways that we proclaim that is by together, as believers, as followers of Christ, celebrating the Lord's Supper. So let me do this, and I'd ask the men who are going to help serve to come on down, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to worship and to celebrate the wonder of your goodness to us, Lord, the, the, the Christmas story is filled with these incredible insights into the people. Most of all, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is my prayer today that if there is anyone who has never turned away from sin, turned by faith to Jesus Christ to trust him, to receive his forgiveness, I pray today would be the day of salvation for that person. And then for those of us who know you and love you, Lord, you know what a journey it is. We seek the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which you have called us to do. Now, Father, as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and that you would be pleased as we meditate in the broken body, in the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.